turn to 1 Timothy. Uh, one of our ladies came by this morning and lovingly kidding said, Are you going to leave us alone this morning? And uh, I will, I will, I will. Thank you for, I, I, I want to say this, I want to say thank you for the, thank you for being a church that allows me, encourages me to stick to the Bible, even when it hurts, even, even in the hard things, even in the things that run contrary to our will and our flesh. I, I appreciate the spirit. Um, look, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. I, I love people. I love to be liked by people. And, and one of the occupational hazards of being a pastor is you don't always get to say what people want to hear. And so that can be challenging. Um, but I, I want to say thank you for the spirit in which uh, we as a church receive the hard things. By, by, by no stretch of the imagination of the last two weeks, probably not what our flesh wants to hear. Talking about modesty and clothing and talking about adorning ourselves with good works and not just merely externally and that, you know, uh, we live in a world that is very externally oriented. And then last week, just talking about just submission, that right there tunes people out. When you, they, they don't hear a word you say after that, when you start talking about submission, they tune you out. And, and, and yet we saw the grace of God that Though, though, as we look at over the next few weeks, that God has called men to be the leaders, the men to be the, um, the leadership of the church, and to, that women, biblically, we would argue that they cannot occupy that role as, an, as what we'll see as an elder or that, yet God in His grace has given women an, a role that only they can occupy, and, and that is of, of birthing children. Of, of as we talked about uh, in, in doing so and in raising children and, and a husband and wife raising children to, to reverse the curse, if you will, that sin brought about. And, and, that, and I hope you heard last week, there is, there's, there's, I don't have any grounds for saying there's something wrong with a woman working outside of the home. The point was to do not do that to the demise, do not do that to the neglect of the home. The home is to be ultimately, I, I know that there are, there are mothers all over who are working because the home is a priority and they've got to work to make ends meet. And guess what? I think God's glorified in that. And, and so I, I, I tried to be very careful to make that clear. And I, I thought about it all week. Did I make that clear enough? I, I want to be clear. What I was saying is the home is a priority. No matter what you're doing as a, as a mom especially the home, is a priority, and that's what we looked at. And God has reserved a place of, of, of importance and, and, and a role that only moms you can fill there in the home. And as we, as we head toward chapter 3, knowing that today is, is somewhat of an abbreviated time, and, and I've tried to abbreviate even what I'm going to say today, I don't want to get into overseers and deacons today because there's a lot to be said in chapter 3 I and I'm not sure before we get into leadership and and of a church I want to make sure that we understand what the church is I want to take a moment today and and make sure that we understand what it is we're leading we're, we're going to look at some tough passages even next week I mean with with regards to 
to things that we'll see in, in chapter 3. And if we don't understand what it is that we're leading, if we don't understand what it is that we're guarding, if we don't understand what it is that we've been entrusted, Paul says over in chapter 1, verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I mean, that's really what marks us out as a church. What we're guarding, what we've been entrusted is the gospel. And, and we need to understand the, the, the greatness of that task, the greatness of that responsibility. We need to understand what exactly is the church. Who does it belong to? What's it here for? I mean, if I ask you the question today, what is the church and what is the purpose of the church? How would you answer that? If, if just thinking right there in your own minds, what is the church and what is the purpose of the church? How would you answer that? If I ask you this question, who's in charge of the church? How would you answer that? Who's in charge? Most people, most people would answer that the pastor is in charge. And most people in that case would be wrong. I'm not in charge. I'm simply a steward. I'm, I'm managing, I'm stewarding something on behalf of another. I'm shepherding God's flock, if you will, on His behalf. He owns the sheep. I'm not in charge. I have authority. I've been given authority. But that authority is to make much of the one who granted me that authority. That authority is, is, the one who own, is on behalf of the one who owns the sheep. And that's what I want us to see today because I'm afraid if we just jump into chapter 3 and, and we start talking about above reproach and husband of one wife and temperate and prudent, which by the way, none of what you see in chapter 3 with regards to elders, none of that is exclusive to them in the sense that the rest of the church the rest of the body of Christ is not immune from those same characteristics being in their lives. What, what we'll see over the next week or two is that what you see in chapter 3, almost all are characteristics of a man. There's, really, there's one ability that is listed in chapter 3, really one ability, and it says able to teach. The rest are characteristics. The rest are really characteristics that ought to mark every single believer in Christ. But who's in charge? What, what are we in charge of? What are we doing here? I want to make sure we're clear on that before we, before we move forward. So you'll see on your handout there the main point today. The main point, and I'm, I'm trying to keep it real simple. The local church is a called out group of believers. Hear me. There may be believers here in this, there may be unbelievers here in this gathering today, but listen, they're not part of the church. The church is believers. It is a called out group of believers in a given location who belong to Christ. And Christ leads his church through spiritually mature men called elders who shepherd the church on Christ's behalf and according to his lead. There's a lot there, and I want to break that down. 
I want to break that down and help us to see. I want to give us some, some basic truths about church, but also some basic needs of why we need leadership. And so you'll see on your handout, I, I, I want to run through these kind of quickly to, to get done and, and honor the small group time. First thing, Christ is the founder of the church. Christ. If you were to turn back to Matthew, you can write these down. Matthew 16, 18. I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, there's a lot of, of misunderstanding in that verse. There's a lot of misunderstanding about who, who he's speaking to, and, and Petros, and Petros, and, and there's some, some, what I would say, unbiblical church leadership practices that have come out of this verse. But ultimately, Christ is the founder of the church. He's in charge of building the church. But not only Christ is the founder of the church, Christ is, you'll see, B, Christ is the foundation of the church. He's the foundation of the church. He, he's the builder of the church, but, but guess what? He's also who, who we're being built upon and in a confession there, in a profession. He says in Ephesians 2.20, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. If we were to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, speaking to the same, he says, No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. The cornerstone in a building, you say, what is that? That's the, that's the stone that holds everything else together. If you were to go to Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 17, he says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That is Christ. We are, we are built upon Christ. We are truly, as the song says, we are standing on his promises. Christ and his faithfulness is absolutely essential to who we are and who we are being built into. The church relies on Christ, not vice versa. We need Him. But not only is Christ the founder and the foundation, you say, well, when did the church begin? That, that's a big deal. You see, see, the church began at Pentecost. That's, that's Acts chapter 1, verse 5. That's Acts 2. We saw in Matthew 6, 18, He says, I will build my church, that, that's future. If you, the word church occurs 114 times in the New Testament. Only three of those are in the Gospels. Once in Matthew 16 and, once in Matthew eight, and twice in Matthew 18. It was a future thing when Jesus was speaking there. And he had promised in John 14 that when he left, the Holy Spirit would come upon you. And when he did, you would receive power. And you see that in Acts. In Acts 1.5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Jesus had promised, the Old Testament had promised. If you go to Jeremiah 
Ezekiel, that, uh, that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 14 said, When I depart from you, I'll not leave you as infants, as orphans rather. I'll send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what's going on here. They were baptized with the Spirit in that. They were indwelt in that with the Spirit. And that's really what marks, if you were to look at Ephesians 1.13, we have been sealed with the Spirit. The word there, you know, is a down payment. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what marks out a believer. It's what marks out a Christian, a member of the church. Indwelt with the Spirit. And that began there in Acts. You see, D, the church is a group of believers who have been purchased with the blood of Christ. Purchased with the blood of Christ. That's what we are picturing here in the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, he says, For even as, one, even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Again, that's how the church is built. Through the work of the Spirit, indwelling believers. At the moment of your salvation, you received the Holy Spirit and that you were placed into the body of Christ, the church. There's many, many ways that you see the church. You see body. You see building. You see flock. We're called the sheep of his pasture. All kinds of different, different ways that the church is pictured. But it's a group of called out believers and dwelt with the Spirit who belong to Christ. And it's the union with Christ that characterizes the members of the church. Again, that is the essence of what makes us a church. We're believers. We're, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We possess the Spirit in that. The, the essence, if you were to look at where we get our word, our English word church, it comes from a Greek word and it literally means belonging to the Lord. Belonging to the Lord. You, you see this in, in precisely in, in chapter 6 in fighting sin and living a specific way and Paul reminds them, why do you flee immorality? Why do you flee these things? Because in 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Why? Because you have been bought with a price. The church, you see it on your hand, belongs to Christ. You have to see, you, you belong to Christ. Are you a child of God? Absolutely you are. are you, but are you a slave of God? Absolutely you are. Both are true. We, we have to see ourselves as belonging to Christ. This gathering belongs to Christ. In the sense of when we gather, the purpose is to make much of Christ. You see also in, in Scripture E, Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. Verse, Ephesians 1, 
verses 20 through 23, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is he saying there? When I say head, the word there, it, it means leader. Christ is our leader. What it means is we're here, to, we don't call the shots. We're here to follow his commands. He is the one who directs and guides and calls the shots for the church. And as such, the key question we have to ask ourselves is not what do I think the church ought to be, it's rather what does the Bible say the church ought to be. It's not what we think it ought to be. Well, I think the church should do this, or I think the church should do this. No, no, what does the Bible say the church ought to do? Well, I think the church ought to be about this. It, it doesn't matter what you and I think. God has given charge to the church in the Word of God. And in many ways, we, we've turned church and come up with this expectation of church that quite honestly is not even biblical. It's not for our entertainment. It's not to take the role of discipler away from you, mom and dad. You don't bring your kids to church and say, hey, here they are. Go get them. Go get them. You don't bring people into the church, non-believer, and say, okay, pastor, go get them. Go get them. No, no, no. That's your job. Ephesians 4 makes it very clear. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's not my job to do everything. It's not Chris Thayer's job. It's not Michael Flesherim's job. It's not those, the teachers that are going to be in your classes with all your children here in a few minutes. It's your job. It's, it's, it's mine and your job to be out. We gather to worship. We scatter to evangelize. What we do here is to equip us to go out in the world to do the work of the ministry. To seek and save the lost. And, and even with regards to leadership... As we'll see in the coming weeks, we don't simply have the right to do what we think is best or seemingly what works best. I'm not trying to be critical here, but churches typically govern themselves on what works. They typically go to a model that just functions well or works rather than what is biblical. We have clear commands in Scripture regarding the leadership and the structure of the church. We belong to Him. We as the church are responsive to our living head, who is, which is Christ. And, and what we do here, what we have been given, even in our, even in our, even in our, our, our spiritual gifts, 1 Peter 4.10 says, Use whatever gift you have received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. Your spiritual giftings were not given to serve yourself. They were given to serve the body of Christ. That's why we have some in here that proverbially would be a right arm, a left arm, a big toe, a little toe, a pinky, a dime. Why? All of you, all of you together, all of us together have different giftings. We have different abilities. And we all come together to form a complete, healthy body. But ultimately it is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of Christ, not our own. Ultimately, it's to seek and save the lost. Ultimately, it's oriented around God's kingdom, not our kingdom. We're here to advance His kingdom. 
And so you see on your handout, the main goal of the church is to allow Christ to exercise his headship over us, as, and I left out we, as we use what we have been given to build each other up in Christ and expand his kingdom. If you were to go to Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, Do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of much, but rather encourage one another as long as it is called today. Even in our gathering, even in our gathering, it is not primarily about you. It's primarily about coming together and being encouraged by other believers who are going through the same things and fighting in the same wars and are being encouraged by one another. That's why, again, it, these sound so, um, you know, selfish for me to say this, but that's why skipping church and being casual with church is such a big deal. We come to be encouraged by one another. Every single week, somebody will ask me, hey, is such and such here? I really wanted to talk to him. And, 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 and they can't find that person. They waited all week to see that person, and they're not here. I'm not saying there's not reasons why we don't miss. Get it. I get it. Don't hear me saying that. I'm not trying to shame you into it. I'm trying to encourage you that what we do here is precious. What we do here is absolutely essential. What we do here is to remind us every week to hang in there, to keep fighting, to keep fighting, to keep fighting. Don't give up. It's to encourage one another. But the question becomes, you know, how do we do that? Do we just go about our own? Are we just, do we make it up as we go? Or do we follow what Christ has established with regards to leadership? And the reality is Christ has clearly established leadership for His church and through the Word of God. He has communicated that clearly. We're not up to our own ways. We don't get to choose what we want. And what you see throughout the Bible is a clear call and demand and need for church leadership, solid church leadership. One of the themes of 1 Timothy is leadership, is church leadership. And it's obvious if you were to read the whole letter that the, the church had deteriorated severely on a lot of levels and they were all revolved around leadership. There was false doctrine. They were teaching fables, genealogies. There were people teaching stuff. They were rabbis who wanted to teach, but they had no idea what the law meant. They were perverting the gospel. There were, there were uh, women trying to usurp authority of men. There were people teaching seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. All of that is in 1 Timothy. You go over to chapter 4, but the Spirit explicitly says in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That's inside the gathering. In the whole, there were, there were sinful pastors here. You had, in the end of chapter 1, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who he had to hand over to Satan. They were leaders in the church. And the whole problem really flowed from a problem with leadership. Leadership. And you see it on your handout. The single most important element in the church from a human standpoint is its leadership and that they keep Christ and the gospel at the center of everything a church does. Leadership. If, if you were to go over to, to Luke chapter 6, Jesus really establishes a, a principle here of, of the importance of, of leadership. He says he spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? And listen to this in Luke 6.40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Here's the point. People rise to their leaders. 
They rise to leadership. When a person is fully taught, he will be like his teacher. And though Christ has, is ultimately our leader, he has established men, certain men and qualified men to lead on his behalf. Listen, as they follow Christ themselves. These are men who are following Christ and they set the pace for the rest of the church. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. In that, you'll see on your handout, leaders are the thermostat and they set the temperature and climate of where they lead. Today, during, during Sunday supper, and, and there's, there's a group of men and women, and by the way, please let them go through the line first. We're, we're having a meeting in here. Uh, they know who they are. We're going to have the first meeting where we start a process of trying to find a family pastor. Somebody who will oversee birth to 12th grade, who will be involved in coming alongside families and, and helping families as we disciple these children. But this is why, if, if you were to look at the, the qualifications of that person, it says there, we want somebody who has an accredited seminary degree. Here's why. We want our kids to go deep with God, and that person's not going to take them somewhere that he has not gone himself. And the challenge for us is, and this is kind of a hot button for me, but like you would never go into a doctor's office and say, hey, um, you know, you're going to do surgery on me. What are your qualifications? Well, I didn't go to school, but, you know, I hung around doctors my whole life. And my daddy was a doctor, and so, you know, I just hung around it a bunch. So let me do surgery on you. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't be getting on a plane and say, hey, bro, uh, you flew in before? Well, no, but I grew up around planes. Well, yeah, well, just come on in. It doesn't work that way. We, we want somebody who has, an who has graduated from an accredited seminary. Ten years from now, it won't matter about games and stuff. What will matter is, did, did this person take them deep with God? When life's troubles and trials and hurts and all that come, you know what? The games ain't going to matter. We'll have some games, don't get me wrong, they'll play some games, we understand their kids. But what matters is that they went deep, that their delight was in the Lord. The, the primary responsibility that we've put forth for this individual is to help our kids delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. It was interesting, I got a resume the other day and, and this shocked me, but he said, uh, hey, I'm not even looking for a job, but I read the job description, I just want to be a part of that. He said, I'm not even looking for a job, I love my job. But I'll leave my job to come do that. I'll say, well, okay, I don't even know who you are, but that's, that's okay. So his name is in there. We have probably have 40 resumes. We've posted on Southern Baptist seminaries, Southeastern, Southern, uh, Southwestern, Midwestern, I think is the other one. Probably have 40 that are really solid. But listen, our kids aren't going to go deep if it's not first happened in their shepherd's heart. We want somebody who's gone deep and is going deep on their own. And, and the reality is, why is church leadership so important? Because every single person in here, every single follower of Christ, has a, an, an innate tendency in them to drift apart from the gospel, to drift away, to fall into to sin, to, to, to minimize the, the, the gospel in their life. And, and we, if you were to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 10... That's exactly what he says. Men, you, 
by means of hypocrisy of liars, steered in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God created. They, for everything, he goes on to talk about pointing out these things, you will be a good servant of Christ, constantly nourished on the words of faith and sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for this life and the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men. That's what I want for us and that's what I want for our kids. To fix their hope on the Savior of all men. And to go deep. That when, when Ephesians 4, when it talks about when, that they would not be blown around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine. That when their when they're professors and when their friends and all that present ideas that are contrary to the Bible, they'd be able to defend. But, but listen, that won't start primarily here. That will start primarily in your home. And if that doesn't take place, listen to me. Look at the person in the mirror that raised that child who God gave that to. That's where it starts. So even this principle of leadership, it even begins in the home. I'm not have a hard time taking Bradley and Sarah Grace where I haven't gone. It starts in our home. And this person is going to come, come along aside the home. But we need strong, godly, mature leaders. Because mature leaders bring about mature followers. And again, we need strong leaders in teaching because every believer has a tendency to stray from the gospel. If you were to go to the Old Testament, you will find the history of Israel was one of apostasy, was wandering. I shared earlier in Deuteronomy 6, he says, look, I'm about to take you in the land. The first thing he says this, when you go into the land, there's going to be plenty. There's going to be cisterns you didn't dig. There's going to be olive trees that you didn't plant, all this. You know what he says to them? Don't forget me. You know what you find them doing? Forgetting. Forgetting. Wandering away. In Jeremiah 2, in Jer just one example. I mean, there are hundreds, and I, for the sake of time, I realized this thing was getting way too long. I had to eliminate a bunch of examples. I'll give you one. Jeremiah 2. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. Listen to me, that's all of our tendency. To walk after things that don't profit. It's not, it's not pray a prayer, get this thing settled, and then okay, we'll wash our hands. We're, no, no. We, every single one of us, daily, moment by moment... Focusing on the gospel. Going back to the gospel. The rest of Jeremiah shows the tendency of God's people to drift. The book of Malachi paints a very vivid, graphic picture of poor leadership and its consequences. They didn't take the word of God. They didn't take the work of God seriously. And the consequences were severe. In the New Testament, Matthew, John, James, Peter, John, James, Jude... All of them speak about apostasy. All of them warn about false teachers. Even Jude, Jude 3, verse 4, a very challenging verse. Jude, verse 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about a common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. 
For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly person who turned the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. John 10 says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. If you, if you don't think Satan has an agenda for your family, if Satan doesn't have an agenda for your kids to, to destroy them, you're crazy. You're mistaken. Forgive me, you're mistaken. You may not be crazy. Well, either way. And, and again, we need, we need to be built up. We need Ephesians 4. We need to be mature in the faith that we can pick out Satan's lies, that we can pick out his deceptions. And that starts with leadership. And the Bible clearly describes two primary leadership roles in the church, and you see them there on your handout. Elders, and then deacons. Pray for us, we're in the process, our elders are in the process of, of nominating and, and electing some deacons, that, that would be servants. Acts 6, the deacons serve, and they do a lot of those things so that the elders can pray and study the Word of God and, and, and lead the church in that capacity. But, but even here, I want to give us some truths real quick before we jump into chapter 3 the next couple weeks about church leadership. Truths about church leadership, because even here, we can go astray real quick. The first thing you see there, church leadership is ordained by God. Man didn't invent this. Again, we are to submit to God's ways even if we don't like it or understand it. But not only that, church leadership belongs to the church. Here's what I mean. They don't act on their own benefit. They, 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 they do not have final authority over the church. That belongs to Christ. They act on behalf. They're, they're going to be held accountable. See, church leadership is to be a picture of God's glory. Everything we do, everything we do in a church is to be about God's glory. Not our own comfort, not our ease, not our own fun, not our preferences. Look, those don't guide us. The Word of God guides us. The glory of God guides us. His kingdom advancement guides us. The gospel guides us. Not our personal preferences, not our likes, not our wants, not our conveniences, not even what works. We're not interested in pragmatism. We're not called to be pragmatists, meaning, meaning do whatever works. We're called to be faithful. Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know what they did? You know how many people listened to their message? None. And yet every single day they preached. Our, our job is to be faithful. It's not about what works. It's not about just filling a building. It's about digging deep and maturing people. D, God has ordained a guide to guide His church through a plurality of spiritual men called elders. Plurality, not just one. There's, I'm not the CEO. I'm one of seven elders at this church. And I'm grateful for those men. I'm grateful for Joel and Tim and Tom and Dwayne and John and Tony. And Lee, he's on sabbatical right now, but he's, he's an elder. Now, he's, we, we formed a rotation, and that way not everybody rotates off at the same time. And Lee said, hey, I'll come on in a year. Did I name them all? 
I hope so. Forgetting somebody. Huh? You email me. Yeah, who do I serve with? But, but it's a plurality. I'm not, the, I'm not the CEO. I'm not the dictator. I'm not just doing my own thing. E, church leadership exists to care for the people who comprise the church. If you were to go to 1 Peter 5, 2, he says, he tells the elders there, shepherd the flock. But do it, do it under compulsion. Don't do it for your own gain. Do it for their good. It's a sacrificial thing. It's a selfless thing. It's a dying to self. It is to protect the flock. If you were to go to John 10, the, the parable of the good shepherd, you know what the shepherd does? He lays down his life for the flock, for the sheep. And he fights off the wolves and the false teachers. And he protects the flock. And the number one way you protect the flock is, is through sound teaching. it's to care, it's to to thwart off the enemy, to maturity. F, church leadership is dependent upon the gospel. Listen, what we will see in chapter 3, those characteristics will not be in someone's life on their own. They are fruits of the Spirit. It is gospel-generated, gospel-saturated, gospel-oriented living. That's what will be the mark of an elder. And, and we, mentioned, we mentioned it earlier, and, and, and just tying this all in with even the, the Lord's Supper and what we, what we participated in today. It's interesting, in, in Acts 20, verses 28 and 31, he, said, he writes this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which is purchased with His own blood. Listen to what it says. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, listen to that, from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of you with tears. Do do you see the reason we need strong leadership? Do do you see what Satan wants to do to your family, to your kids? There's a lot of false doctrine out there. There's a lot of ways Satan out there is tricking, deceiving, drawing our kids into stuff that's only going to produce scars and wounds and a lot of stuff that, that you and I in here experience. Why? Because we bought the lie. We took the bait at times. And we're wounded and we're scarred. We're stained, as James 4 says, because of sin. More than anything else, I want us to be a people who taste and see that the Lord is good, who are so in love with the Lord that the things of this world have nothing to offer us. They're putrid because we were satisfied with who God is. That, that Satan has nothing to offer. Not that we'll ever be perfect, but, but generally that he has nothing to offer us. That we delight in the Lord so much and that delight is what pervades every situation that we're in. No matter where we are, we delight in the Lord. That we want to reflect Christ in all we do. Listen, you and I as a church and the leadership of this church exists to protect the gospel. We've been entrusted with the gospel. We exist to protect it. 
We exist to, to share it and to pass that on. And, and, and even the, the, the call of leadership, everybody wants to be a leader, but listen, there's a high standard. In, in, in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, listen, as those who will give an account. You want to be a leader? Get prepared to give an account. I'm going to give an account. It says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Not a week goes by that I don't read or hear about pastors walking away. Why? Because of the sheep. It's the bottom line. And, and, and what, we, what we need more than anything are, are strong leaders. We need strong leaders who will take us deep. Who can navigate through trials and struggles. Who will point us, all of us, back to the gospel no matter what. We need solid church leadership. I, Dwayne, I think I forgot Dwayne. Did I say Dwayne earlier? I did. Man, I'm afraid. Afraid I'm going to leave one of them boys out. What? Ah, if I did a lot of things, John, I wouldn't forget. Listen to me. Pray for us. Pray. Watch us. Listen to me. Make sure we stick to the gospel. Make sure we're not leading you away from the gospel in anything we do. We, we, we exist to lead you. To help. Even next week, Tim Pastored, he, he's going he's gonna to fill this pulpit. I, my kids have spring break. We're going away. But to have a Tony Sauls fill the pulpit, to have a Tim Pastored fill the pulpit who are elders, who love the Word of God. Tim has promised me that he said they're going to love it. He's only going to keep you for about 30 minutes. He's better at saying what needs to be said than I am. Just hear me. When I come back, we'll go, we'll, you'll, you'll, you'll go back to your 45 minutes, 50 minute, whatever. Don't think for one second we've changed. He's just better at saying what needs to be said than I am. He says it with less words. But listen, he's going to fill the pulpit. And he's going to demand the same respect that I would. And I don't want to be a church when, oh, when, when Chris is not there, we, we can take the Sunday off. That's wrong. That's wrong. But, but we need, listen to me, we need church leadership. Why is the bar going to be so high? Because the, because the task demands it. Because the repercussions of not having solid leadership is too much. Too much is at stake. And our job as a church is to submit to what God has commanded. Not complain, not all, it's to submit. It is to submit to His wisdom and what He has ordained. Amen? And, and, and to trust that it is good. That it's good. 